Amen. And if you remain standing and turn in your Bibles to Colossians, Colossians chapter 2 is uh, where we find ourselves making our way this morning, really through the end of the chapter, verse 16 to verse 23. We stand because we want to honor God's word. We believe that this is the word of the Lord. Yes, that God may bless the reading of his word. Therefore, let no one pass judgment on you in questions of food and drink or regard to a festival or a new moon or a Sabbath. These are shadows of things to come, but the substance belongs to Christ. Let no one disqualify you, insisting on asceticism and worship of angels, going on in detail about visions puffed up without reason by a sensuous mind and not holding fast to the head, from which the whole body, nourished and knit together through its joints and ligaments, grows with a growth that is from God. If with Christ you have died to the elemental spirits of the world, why, as if you were still alive in the world, do you submit to regulations? Do not handle, do not taste, do not touch, referring to the things that all perish as they are used, according to human precepts and teachings. These have, indeed, these have indeed an appearance of wisdom in promoting self-made religion and asceticism and severity to the body, but they are of no value in stopping the indulgence of the flesh. Let's pray together. Father God, we ask that uh, this time as we open up the scriptures that your word would become alive to us, that your spirit would be amongst us, that our opinions, that our emotions, that all that we bring into church this morning would be set aside for a moment and that you would be exalted and lifted up, that Jesus, you would be the center of all our activity right now. That your word, as you have promised, it goes out and you said it does not return back to you void. And so we ask that you would honor God, your promise to accomplish what you would purpose as your gospel and as your word and as the scriptures are opened, that you would shape us all, that you would mold us into the image of your son, Jesus in whose name we pray. Amen. You can be seated. Well, aloha. How's it? Hey, good morning. It is good to be worshiping Jesus with you all this morning. Uh, if you're new and if you're visiting, we're kind of during the summer slump when uh, attendance is hit and miss. People go on vacations. They go to different islands. They, there's no vogue. They split and head to the beach. But we're glad to have you with us this morning worshiping Jesus uh, we are in the book of Colossians, and um, we, this is what we do at Short Break. If you don't know, we just kind of pick a book of the Bible. We sit in the scriptures and just see what God has spoken to us in the word of God. And sometimes uh, we come across truths and verses that are found in the scriptures that very much go against uh, what is happening even amongst Christians today. I've heard it said uh, that sermons are like an auto body mechanic. Some sermons are meant to, to pull out the dents. Other sermons are uh, meant to um, b- 
buff out and shine things out, and other sermons are meant to sand and cut away the edges. And um, if you're wondering what kind of sermon this is, this is the sanding type of sermon, okay? Uh, I'm going to offend you this morning, okay? You ready for that? I love you. I'm going to offend you because I'm going to offend me too. Paul is an equal opportunity offender. Just so you know, I'm just giving you the heads up. And maybe you won't agree with what I say or maybe some of the conclusions, but at least that you would hear from God and that whatever you bring, whatever I bring with this morning, that we would submit our understanding to the scriptures, to Jesus, all right? Cool. So, um, Paul here is through the book of Colossians trying to show us that Christ is in everything. That Jesus is supreme, that there is no one greater, there is no one more amazing, there is no one uh, who is like Jesus. For in him the fullness of deity dwells. He is the firstborn of all creation, yet eternal and infinite, unchangeable in his attributes. He is high and lifted up. He draws men into himself. He is, Paul says, to be preeminent. The problem is with Christians is that oftentimes we may only take what interests us about Jesus and we leave out the rest. You know, I'm kind of into this part of Jesus. I kind of like this aspect of Jesus. I like focusing on these things of God. But when it comes to, you know, some of these other things of God, I'm not really that into them. They just don't interest me. And I'm just letting you know there's a danger when you and I lean into only things that interest us about Jesus and kind of ignore the rest of who God is. Or at least being content with a weak and lazy understanding of Christ. Theologian B.B. Warfield articulated this thought this way. He, he called it the dangers of a half-learned Jesus. It is dangerous when we commit to a half-learned Jesus. And the reason why is because when there is a half-learned Jesus, we desire fullness. We were made for it. God has set eternity inside the heart of every man. And if we half learn Jesus, we will find some other half or multiple other halves to fill up that which is lacking. Not that Christ himself is lacking, but again, we sell ourselves short because we have a half learned Jesus. We don't understand him. We don't understand how the gospel actually reorients our life and does a work in our souls. Jesus becomes something we assume, which is why for the whole chapter, chapter 2, Paul is uh, contending for the truth of the gospel and he is cultivating the flourishing fruits of the gospel. It is both and because we've learned in weeks past that there is no flourishing in the gospel if we do not contend for the gospel. But we cannot just contend for the gospel, we also must flourish in the the gospel. It is both and. And there is an undercurrent in every human heart to drift away from Jesus. Like that song we sing, prone to wander, Lord, I feel it, prone to leave. The God I love. Isn't that the temptation in your soul and mind so often? It's because like an instrument that naturally goes out of tune or a car 
alignment that is no longer straight but veers to the side, our lives begin to wander from that which is pure. The dangers of a half-learned Jesus is that it makes us vulnerable to things that Paul says here would disqualify us. Again, that's the tone of the message. Just trying to, to prep you and me for it. But this hasn't just been an issue for us today. It was an issue that Paul had to deal with 2,000 years ago. In fact, it's been an issue all along for the people of God to assume God, to have a half-learned Jesus. The prophet Jeremiah, in Jeremiah 2.13, God spoke through him and he said, speaking of Israel, the chosen people of God, my people have committed two evils. What are those evils? They have forsaken me, the fountain of living waters, and have hewn out cisterns for themselves, broken cisterns that cannot hold water. So even thousands of years ago, God spoke through the prophet Jeremiah to the people of Israel, and he says, don't forsake the Lord. In fact, when we forsake the Lord, God says to Jeremiah, it is evil. Oh, you know, I kind of forgot about God today. I kind of wandered, kind of a day becomes weeks, weeks become months, and then eventually months become seasons and seasons become years. Are we forsaking God? When we forsake God or when we half learn Jesus, we're actually committing that which is evil. And when we do, Jeremiah says, we hewn out for us, we dig out for ourselves um, cisterns, which are meant to hold water, but the cisterns are broken. What is the point? We all tend to forget about God. And when we forget about God, we inevitably will hewn out for ourselves cisterns and we will fill it with our own waters. But guess what? Those cisterns are broken. They leak. We leak the gospel, which is why we need continuous reminders to be filled up with the gospel. We leak the truth of the scriptures. We leak knowledge of God. We often forsake God, which is why you and I need to be constantly filled up with God, that is the reminder here. And it's like, well, why are we talking about this again? Because Paul, he is talking about these things again. The temptation of a half-learned Jesus is that in order to reach fullness, we will supplement Jesus with other things. I do it. You guys, I do it. We're going to be honest with ourselves. We all do it. It could be material things. It could be religious activity and paul is actually going to give us a list of these things in fact paul is going if you think he's going to ease off like this contending and cultivating for the gospel he actually he gets more specific he gets more intense here and he says in verse 16 therefore let no one pass judgment on you in questions of food or drink so obviously in Colossae, people were passing judgments on people for food or drink with regard to festivals or a new moon or a sabbath these are shadows of things to come, but the substance belongs to Christ. So you have Gentiles, outsiders, heathens, right, who are becoming Christians. And then you have Jews who receive Christ, and they're becoming one in the body of Christ. And um, 
there's some friction that's happening. And then on top of that, you have these people. It's, guys, it's within the church. Do you think Shorebreak's got issues? We got our issues, okay? But every church has its issues. They had their issues then. People were saying, why are you worshiping on Sunday? You should be worshiping on Saturday. That's the Lord's Day. Have you heard that before? Why are you drinking that beverage? Just, just saying. Why, why are you drinking that beverage? People are passing judgment on, on drinks. Now, the, obviously, there is liberty. Some, some do have the liberty. They, they, there's nowhere in the Bible that says drinking is absolutely forbidden. But for some, they should absolutely not exercise that freedom because the freedom to drink is actually enslavement for them. So just be clear. I'm not saying that everyone go out and after church today, have fun. No. But for us to impose our religion on other people, this is what was happening then. What makes you think you can eat that food? Don't you understand that these are traditions that you must keep? See, Jews historically had strict diets, had strict regulations, had strict laws. And Jews historically had died for some of these things. And so imagine you're, you're a Jew and your parents died for keeping the Sabbath or, for, or, for, or they went through a famine and all there was to eat was, was pig and, and they refused and, and, and you were nearly starving. And, and, and just, you can think of the different situ- situations and circumstances the people of God would have had to go through and tolerate. And now all of a sudden, these Gentile Christians walk in and they're just like acting like they can do whatever they want. You think you can eat that Kahlua pork slider with just no regard at all? You know that poke you're eating? It's uncooked. Can't have it. Can't have. You're eating that scaled fish? I mean, th- these were things in the law. And then on top of that, then man added their own religion. And before you knew it, you had all these formulas, all these religions, whether it be festival, these diets, these Sabbaths, and so on. I have Jesus. But then you hear these things that people are saying, and they make good emotional arguments or historical Old Testament truths. And then you think, maybe I should pick up on these traditions. Maybe I shouldn't eat that, or why am I worshiping on Sunday, or maybe I do need a little bit more law. And oftentimes, you guys, these people, they are sincere. Not all the time. Some of them are not sincere. But some of them are very sincere. They're well-meaning, passionate worship leaders who elevate secondary open-handed spiritual insights or biblical principles and they elevate them to be equal with Jesus or maybe even more important than Jesus. And oftentimes these can be good things. Why don't we talk about, why, why don't we celebrate Passover? Well, I even had a conversation with someone um, more recently about, about, about serving wine at communion. Why do you guys serve wine at communion? It's like because Jesus served wine at the Lord's Supper. Like uh, Jesus turned water into wine. I mean, it's just what it was. And in fact, we know there's touch. I told you I'm going to offend people. But why? Just because someone maybe uh, has abused a privilege and taken that which is sinful, do you want to throw the baby out of the bathwater? Just because a marriage falls apart doesn't mean uh, we're no longer pro-marriage, right? It is not God when he institutes certain things, uh, does he pervert it? It's man who perverts things. And we need to be very careful. And again, on this subject, it doesn't matter what it is. Don't let anyone judge you. Now, Christians love that. 
Oh, 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 see, pastor, you can't judge me. That's not what he's saying. We do pass judgment on one another. People are like, yeah, but Jesus said, judge not lest you be judged. Yes, for that which you judge, just know that when you judge, the same measure will come back on you. But he doesn't say, don't judge at all. What he's saying is, don't let anyone tell you that Jesus is enough, that you need to avoid that drink, or you should drink that drink, right? It, doesn't, it depends on the circle of Christians you're in, or you shouldn't eat this food, or you should eat this food. What are we attempting to supplement when Jesus isn't enough? Paul says, don't let anyone judge you. A half-learned Jesus is enslaving because anytime we add to the gospel of Jesus, we throw chains around our spiritual wrists. And on the subject of freedom, you guys, when Paul says, let no one judge you, whether it's food or drink, regards to festivals, new moons or Sabbaths, you know, it doesn't matter what it is. The point is not abusing Christian liberty. The point is, isn't Christ so freeing that we don't have to use these things to make us more spiritual? Because a lot of times people will take this verse and be like, don't, don't judge me on this, don't judge me on this. No, it's not what he's saying here. So verse 17, he goes on to say, these are shadows. Why is he saying this? Why, why not let no one judge you? Because these are shadows of things to come, but the substance belongs to Christ. These things were meant to point to someone greater. Don't get caught up in the shadow. Even though the substance is obvious, many people, they insist on shadows. In fact, if you look at verse 18, what does it say in verse 18? Let no one disqualify you, insisting on, and he continues to give a list. Insisting on, insisting on. Just like people did in Jesus' time. People do today. In fact, if you remember, there is someone insisting on these traditions, these religious traditions, insisting on things that were shadows and not things of substance. Remember the woman at the well in John chapter 4? Where this woman in shame goes out midday to get water and Jesus happened to be there. And he offers her living water, which is interesting because Jesus was at Jacob's well. In other words, she's like, I got, I got better water than the water you're going to pull from Jacob's well right now. And she's like, are you saying you're better than Jacob? Y- yes, Samaritan woman. God is in the flesh with you right now, right? But what is she caught up on? This is Jacob's well. This is Jacob's well. And she's hugging, she's following the shadow, right? And so when Jesus offers her water that will, of which she will never thirst again, Jesus begins to talk about her divorces. You've been divorced four times. The fifth person you're living with now, you're actually not even married to. And then she says, oh, okay, I perceive that you are a prophet. Yes, Jesus is a prophet. So what does she do? She changes the subject, (laughs) wants to avoid. And she says, okay, prophet, where should we worship? Our fathers say we should worship on this mountain. Your father say you should worship on this mountain because she's a Samaritan, so he's a hybrid Jew. Where, where should we worship? The one you should worship is in front of you, yet you're caught up and you're insisting on this mountain versus this mountain? And Jesus said in John 4.23, the hour is coming and is now here, is now here. Those were 
shadows. The substance is now here when true worshipers will worship the Father in spirit and in truth. The Father is seeking for such people to worship Him. And she says, well, I know the Messiah is coming. I love how patient Jesus is with her. He says, I am He. And she believes. And she worships. God will use the shadows to prove the substance in our life. But don't fall short of the shadows. He took her beyond the shadows. Jacob's well, these Old Testament laws, these traditions, these these new moons, these food or drink or these festivals or Sabbaths, they were all meant to point to Christ. In fact, Paul in verse 18, if you look, he says, no no one disqualify you, insisting on asceticism, worship of angels, going on in detail about visions, puffed up without reason in his sensuous mind. So these people in the Colossian church, they were insisting on these things. The Samaritan woman insisted on, on her things. What are you insisting on to supplement a half-learned Jesus? What am I insisting on to add to Jesus because I haven't leaned into and become fully content with him? Or what have we allowed other people to tell you and me? Well, you need to do this, you need to do this, you need to, and then you will experience true freedom, and then you will experience fullness. So in their day, it was asceticism, which that is uh, the denial of any form of some enjoyment or pleasure. So people believed in this narrative, the people who did believe in this narrative of asceticism is that I am most full. Yes, I have a half-learned Jesus, but I will be most full when I deny myself of any sort of pleasure and enjoyment. Paul says, no. Let no one disqualify you because of that. Uh, Spiritualism. That's another one here. This hyper-focus of worship, right? Angels. And then he goes on, he talks about diets, religious Jewish celebrations, new moons, to make you more full. How about today? That was what they were dealing with. Okay, so, so what do we deal with today? People in, in an effort uh, because of New Age beliefs will often use crystals, tarot cards, or different other type of New Age beliefs to really lean in and to experience fullness in light of Christ. They will use illicit drugs and drunkenness for that. And to think that behind drugs and drinking is not some spiritual demonic activity, then Satan has got us fooled. Satan uses those things to ruin our lives. How about religious legalism? Self-mutilization. There's a form of asceticism there, right? People cutting themselves and harming themselves. There's an overemphasis on speaking in tongues. Hearing the audible voice of God. Glory clouds, laughing in the spirit, rolling around on the floor, all somehow in the name of Jesus. And you might be thinking, whoa, 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 where did you go from there? 
Let no one disqualify you, insisting on asceticism, worship of angels, going on in details about visions. You guys, so part of my testimony is, is I was in junior high, and I actually prayed in summer, Lord, I just want to live as reckless of a life that I can. In junior high, high school, college, then after that, I'm going to commit my life to you. I actually prayed that to the God. Pretty, pretty foolish, I know. But I seriously prayed that to God. I'm like, Lord, I just want to just be as, and then, and then I'll pull my life together. I'll clean my life up. And, and he wooed me, and he drawed me, and he saved me. He brought me to this church, and he used uh, girls in skate parks at this church in sixth grade to, to draw. That. And then he did this work in me, and I got saved in this super charismatic Pentecostal church. And, 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 and God did a work through it, not to, not because, I'm not trying to justify all the things that that church did, but there came a point in time where I realized that everything, a lot of what was happening, even that church, even though I got saved in it, that a lot of things that were happening in that church were devotions to shadows. And Jesus wasn't in the center of it. I was told that I wasn't saved because I didn't have the gift of tongues. I said, prove that in the Bible. They couldn't. People all around me were falling down and being slain in the Spirit. And I was submitting, Lord, if you want me to fall down, I will fall down. But I didn't know. And I was shamed. Because people are deeply wounded by these things that are not Christ exalting. The question is, is Christ in the center? Is he the object of our faith? Is he the one that we worship? We can't get caught up in all these traditions and rules and spiritual activities. And oftentimes what's sad is it's in the name of Jesus people are wounded and harmed. Is Jesus in the center? That's the question we must be asking ourselves. In fact, Paul says, when we give ourselves into these things, this is Paul's language, not mine. I told you, you're going to be offended. These people, he says, are puffed up without reason in his sensuous mind. They've committed themselves to some sensuous form of religion that is not Christ-exalting, and it is exhilarating. They have a lust for spiritual things apart from Christ and it's idolatry. Eyes are not fixed on him. Our minds are not saturated in his wonderful attributes. Our souls do not seek to make much of him because people who are caught up in those sensuous things or those religious things, those shadows, people, they are puffed up and those who are full of themselves have no room for Christ. So Paul says to you and I, what does he say? These are shadows of things to come. These are shadows of things to come. But the substance is Christ. When we commit ourselves to those things, I kind of want to give an illustration to help paint this for you. So um, before there were smartphones, World War I and World, World War II and, and even beyond that, when people would go off to war to another land or to a different place, they would bring pictures of loved ones with them. And in fear of their own lives, bullets flying over their heads or flying the skies, oftentimes they'd bring these pictures with them, put them in their pocket, or have them in a special place. And in moments 
when they'd survive or just before they're about to go to battle, they'd pull out the picture and they'd kiss the picture because it reminds them it was an image of the one that they loved. Can you imagine, though, if that soldier, when they came back home and they had this great homecoming, they're finally reunited with the one they loved. Can you imagine if they pulled out the picture in that moment and just started kissing the picture? It's weird, right? No, the, the picture is irrelevant. You don't need the picture anymore. Why? Because you are with the person. You're with the one you love. These judgmental issues of drink, of food, of tradition, of spiritualism, of mysticism are all simply shadows and pictures. All these visions, all these grand dreams, these are shadows. Don't hug the shadows. Hug the substance. Jesus is the one we wrap our arms around, not these other things. Everything that we got caught up in, don't get caught up in the the garments of the gospel. Wear the gospel itself. Be changed by the gospel. For Christ himself, Paul says, is our substance. And as you do, you will find him enough. As you do, you will find Jesus full. As you do, you will enjoy his presence. He must be our aim, for he is our great reward. We should have no desire for this nonsense. Just you guys, look, look, look at verse 20. He says, if, then you, if, the, if with Christ you died to the elemental spirits of the world, why, as if you were still alive in the world, do you submit to regulations? Do not handle, do not taste, do not touch. Like, why are you falling back into that? You've been set free from those things according to human precepts and teachings. These have indeed an appearance of wisdom in promoting self-made religion and asceticism and severity to the body. But here he says there are no value in stopping the indulgence of the flesh. People think these type of religious activities or these things that they commit themselves to are actually going to help them grow in Christ. Paul says, no, they're not going to help you at all. In fact, Paul's warning here. You might be thinking, why are you taking so much time, Travis, to warning this? Because Paul says, let no one disqualify you. Okay, so let's get practical here. Some of you are, are, are here. You're on vacation. Others of you, you you've been here and you've been worshiping us for years at this church. Some of you are here for the season, but you're going to move on. And I just want to help set up some framework. Whenever it comes to a ch- pastor, a church, or teachings, you are going to submit yourself under. Um, if that ministry is elevating anything or anyone above Jesus, you can be sure that whatever they're into is dangerous, even if it's biblical. All truth is truth in the Bible, but listen to me, all truth is not created equal in the Bible. There are certain truths that are more crucial and fundamental to the, our saving faith than other certain truths. It's just it's the, it's the truth of the Word of God because the Bible acknowledges that there are things of first importance. So sermons based on visions or podcasts you may listen to or preachers you may watch that base their sermons on visions or experiences or ministries that are built on healing and signs and wonders, they have their appearance of wisdom 
but they are only puffing up themselves and they are not building up the church. And the church externally may be appear to be growing, but it is not a growth that is from God. Look at verse 19. For they are not holding fast to the head from whom the whole body nourished, knit together through its joints and its ligaments, grow with a growth that is from God. Now, some of you, you are sick of the shadows and you, you're here because you're done with the shadows. You've tried those things. You've been, I mean, this is a lot of churches. They, they do these things here, even here in Kona and on the big island. But others bounce from church to church, place to place to get lit on some spiritually puffed up experience because they've given into form some form of spiritual sensuality. And no longer is truth important, but it is about how we feel. It is about how um, it is about our emotions. In the Colossae, people were going on in detail about these visions when they shouldn't go on and rambling about all of these visions. For what vision could be greater? What angelic message could be more powerful? What emotional experience could trump the word of God? Even if an angel came to you and preached some other gospel, it's not the gospel of Christ, throw it away. Yet some of us are yearning for the things we shouldn't be yearning for and we're trying to lean into things. Now, I'm not saying God can't supernaturally work. I'm not saying that. I'm not even saying that God doesn't speak to us because I know this is a very sensitive issue. But I am warning you to be very careful because Paul is warning us so that we would not be disqualified. This is so prevalent, oftentimes, it is so biblical, it is so close to the truth, the enemy will mix enough truth in with a lie that we won't even realize it or pick it up or see it. And I know this because one of the number one best-selling books for the, the past few years has been Jesus Calling by Susan Young. Some of you love it. Some of you have read it. Yet, on able to discern really the, the issues with that book. And I'm just going to use Susan's own words for this when it comes to spiritual visions and pursuing things that are beyond the Bible. Susan, I know you're going to be surprised by some of you this, and I'm going to offend you, and I don't care because it's true. Susan says this, I began to wonder, the reason why she wrote Jesus Calling, I began to wonder if I could receive messages during my times of communication with God. I had been writing in prayer journals for years, that was one way of communication. But I did all the talking. I knew that God communicated with me through the Bible, but I yearned for more. When this isn't enough, we are delusional and we are in danger of disqualifying ourselves. In fact, the book she often writes from her own perspective as God to those reading it. Is that not dangerous? Yeah, but she talks about great things and it's helped me. 
Oh my gosh, be careful. And this is not just Susan. This is a bunch of a myriad of different things. She, like many other Christians, have a deep desire to hear from God as though somehow the Bible isn't enough. I'm not saying God isn't able to do that. I'm just saying we need to be very careful because to completely undermine the Bible, to say it's not enough, is to undermine the infallibility and the inspiration of the Bible itself. Paul says in uh, 2 Timothy 3.16, For the word of God, the scriptures are God-breathed. They're inspired by God. This message, the the word of God, from Genesis to Revelation, is the inspired, authoritative word of God. And it is helpful for reproof, for correction, for instruction and righteousness. That the man of God may be equipped, thoroughly equipped for every good work. That we may be complete and Christ, everything we have pertaining to life and to godliness we have received through God's word and his Holy Spirit. And if God should choose to do something supernatural, I'm not saying he can't. I'm just saying don't take those things of secondary importance and elevate them to be equal with Christ. Jesus' word is enough. Don't give into a half-learned Jesus, into broke, broken cisterns and leaking cisterns. Don't let anyone tell you. Don't let anyone judge you to say, well, you need to have this greater spiritual experience. You need to be enlightened into this area. You need to... No. When we have the real thing, when we have not the picture, but the substance, Jesus is enough. He is enough. He is enough. Paul says, don't let these things go on. Don't love the shadow. Love the substance. So whatever diets we're into, whatever visions or sermons or songs or sensuality that we may be given into, how can we know those things are from God? How can we know then? We need to grow in discernment. How can we know if they're from God and if they're going to bring about growth in our own life? How do we know if they're not man-made religion? Verse 19. It's this interesting, actually, end of verse 18 to verse 19. Let no one disqualify you, going on in detail about visions, being puffed up without reason by his sensuous mind. He says, and not holding fast to the head. Who who is the head there? Jesus. Not holding fast to the head from whom the whole body, nourished and knit together through its joints and ligaments, grows with a growth that is from God. Are we connected? Are we abiding in Jesus? How how can we know if it's from God? Who is being exalted? Who is the center of attention? Who is being made much of? And who is receiving glory? Man? A system? A practice? Or God? Are we holding fast to the head who is Christ. You guys, God is about Himself. God is 
all about God. God must glory in Himself because there is no one greater than God. In fact, it would be unjust for God to make anything else, to put anything else in the center of the universe than Himself. For there's no one greater, no one preeminent, no one more supreme than Jesus. So God is about God, and God exists to glorify himself. And so what you have in the Trinity is you have God the Father glorifying in God the Son. You have God the Son glorifying God the Father. And then what do you have the Holy Spirit doing? You have the Holy Spirit glorifying the Son, Jesus, and glorifying the Father. In fact, a verse to back this up, John 16, 14, Jesus says, speaking of the Holy Spirit, he will glorify me, for he will take what is mine and he will declare it to you. So what is the activity of God the Holy Spirit? Making much of Jesus, exalting Jesus, glorifying Jesus. And we can know if something is from God, if it's about God, because everything God does is for the sake of of his glorious name, and churches that ignore him, ministries that deny him, by not having him, this, see, it's not just about what's said, it's about what isn't said. It's not just what is talked about, it's what's ignored. Churches, Christians, my own life, your own life, if we take Christ off of center stage, it is not glorifying God. A lot of people are like, well, I just, I just want spirit filled. I just want to sense the spirit, freedom in the spirit. Are we talking about Christ's centrality? Because if it's anything other than that, then it is not the work of the Holy Spirit. Jesus says, the Holy Spirit will glorify me. Any vision, any angel, any legalism, any rules, anything that deludes the work of Jesus is false. And so I say this because the most spirit filled churches are the ones that exalt Jesus Christ. The most spirit-filled Christians are the ones of which they have their lives centered and built on Jesus Christ. The most matured, growing, doesn't matter where you're at. Are you connected to the head? Are you growing? That is how the body of Christ is built up. That is really the work of the spirit. And a lot of times, like, oh, worship in spirit and in truth, and like, well, truth... You know, can it get in the way? No, it doesn't. We, we cannot worship in spirit without truth. That would be dangerous. But we also need to understand that part of truly God-glorifying worship is when we fully walk in tandem with what the Holy Spirit is about. And the Holy Spirit is about glorifying Jesus. And my prayer as I wrap up this sermon is that whatever we may give, or, give ourselves into, whether it's religion or the abuse of certain freedoms that we have or some form of spiritual mysticism, that we would abandon all of those things, that we would not give into the shadows, but that we would hug the substance who is Christ. May we not be a people who are puffed up. We've been liberated from the shadows, friends. Why would we kiss the picture? Don't. Christ has come. Christ lived. Christ died. He rose again. And the hope of glory is in you. That is enough. We were made to glorify him. And to glory and anything else is to hewn out for ourselves broken cisterns. Let's pray. Father God, you are so 
glorious. You were larger and grander than we ever realized. And it is you, God, and you alone who satisfy. May we find you as our satisfaction, and as we're praying, as your heads are bowed, as your eyes are closed in this moment, God, I just want us to be sensitive to your Holy Spirit right now. For you bring glory to Jesus. And if during this sermon, if if you've heard this message, and if the Holy Spirit has brought up things that have taken the place of being central in your life, Lay those things at the foot of the cross. Give those things to Jesus. Hand them over to him. You've given into some form of spiritualism. Give that over to him. Maybe you're like me and, and I tend to be a little bit more legalistic adding rules and systems. Give that over to him. Are you, are you cutting yourself? Are you trying to deny yourself certain things because somehow that makes you more godly? Give those things over to him. God has spoken to you through his word. Let his word be enough. Lord Jesus, may we be a people who are marked by living for your glory. For it is for your namesake you saved us. It's for your namesake you continue to redeem your people. May we not be puffed up. May we live for your glory. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Amen.